Welcome to Medicana Talk with Dr. Joe Rosado. This program seeks to educate you on topics having to do with medical cannabis. You'll have a better understanding of the industry, insight, and guidance on how cannabis is a safe and important innovation in medicine today. Now, here is your host, Dr. Joe Rosado. Hello, world. This is Dr. Joseph Rosado coming to you live from Ormond Beach, Florida. At my office in Coastal Wellness Centers, uh, sunny, hot, muggy Florida. Uh, I've got two amazing, intelligent, powerful women on the show today. Uh, before we get started and I invite those ladies in, I want to start out with you know my usual intro. The cannabis industry is projected to balloon to $50 billion, and that's billion with a B, by 2026. And its job market is projected to grow 700% by 2020. That's just six months away. But the growth of this industry has come at the expense of millions of people who bear the resulting impact from a criminal record tied to low-level marijuana possession not to mention those who remain incarcerated. According to an article published in the USA Today this year on February 22nd, it was stated that the cannabis industry shouldn't expand until we fix marijuana's racial inequalities, inequities, and injustices. Today I have two of the major pioneers in the minorities for medical marijuana movement, Ms. Roz McCarthy and Ms. Deshita Dawson. Ladies, are you available? Hello. We're here. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, Roz. <laughs> hey, Deshita. <laughs> Dr. No, before Rosado. Hey, Dr. Rosado. <laughs> We've got one, one young lady in the West Coast. We've got one young lady in St. Louis, and I'm in Orlando. So, and, yeah. and our radio is based in, in in Arizona. So we're really connected across the United States. Ladies, please uh, share a little bit of yourselves. Um, Roz McCarthy is the founder and CEO of Minorities for Medical Marijuana. And Dashida Dawson is the chief strategy officer for Minorities for Medical Marijuana. Ladies, please. Absolutely. I'll start off. I'll, I'll make mine really brief because um, Deshita, she is, I mean, a force to be reckoned with, and we're so um, just elated that we have her a part of our M for MM family, and she has so many other different accolades and, and, and successes under her belt. Um, but yes, in 2016, um, I started the organization. Um, basically, I lost my mom to breast cancer in 2005. I have a son who has sickle cell. Um, I wasn't a consumer, I wasn't interested, but what, I was, what, what intrigued me the most, and I live in Florida, so Florida's my, my home state, uh, what intrigued me the most was I saw an industry that was uh, um, disproportionate arrest records for people of black and brown people. However, from the business and the economic standpoint, I saw um, those individuals not being a part of that ecosystem. And then on top of that, um, the fact that you would now have a plant that you have had so many people from, from communities of color go to jail about and that has affected these families, and now to come oh. back and say, oh, now you can go ahead and use this plant for medicine, I felt like there was a dichotomy there, and I felt like you, there was a bridge, a gap of education that was needed. And um, I have 25 years of healthcare, um, education, um, branding, um, and marketing experience, and so when I couple, you know, my business acumen with my own personal story of how 
cannabis could have helped my mom and how cannabis could eventually at some point in time be a support for my son, um, I, I, I started the organization. Um, and um, basically, um, three years later, um, we have 25 chapters throughout the country, um, and we have uh, one in Toronto, Canada, as well as another chapter in Jamaica. Um, and so I'm honored to have Dashita as one of our executive team members, and she's my chief strategy officer. Thank you, Ross. Dashita. Awesome. Well, it has been an amazing ride with Roz. Um, I've been rocking with Minorities for Medical Marijuana since 2016. Um, she calls me uh, a force to be reckoned with, but I got the, the opportunity to hear her speak in Orlando. Um, and I said to my sisters, who I walked in with and I am in business with, um, we got to work with her. And since that <laughs> point, um, Roz has been our fifth sister, um, and it's in part because of her spirit and her energy around this movement, but also because we share some similar uh, similarities in how we transition. So um, I transitioned into the legal cannabis industry, jokingly saying I went from Target to THC um, in 2016. Um, it was unfortunately due to the unexpected passing of my own mother and uh, due to cancer. And I moved into Arizona where I became a medical marijuana patient for my own autoimmune issues as well as just general depression and PTSD from unexpectedly losing my only parent. Um, and uh, very quickly, just from my experience as a consumer marketing expert and business strategist for Fortune um, 50, Fortune 100 companies, I, I saw that the cannabis industry had quite a bit of uh, space to grow. Um, and that was probably, I guess, my first uh, inclination that I needed to jump in and be a consultant. And I, um, but I also, at the same time, originally born in Brooklyn, Brooklyn-born Jersey educated, I like to say, I just couldn't take that I was on the West Coast working um, predominantly <laughs> with and for white men. And I'd come back to Brooklyn and uh, New York City, very, very much uh, known for its arrest around marijuana um, possession, was still arresting uh, young black boys, young Hispanic boys in my neighborhood in Harlem in the Bronx. It was just it was terrible. Um, we still have um, alarmingly crazy rates, but that's where Minorities for Medical Marijuana became really instrumental. Uh, while I do think it's important for us to get in on the business side, that advocacy and social justice is so necessary. So I'm excited cool. to talk with you guys there and um, speak more about some of the amazing things we've been doing the last three years. Perfect. Well, you've got a Bronx boy over here, so Bronxins is in the house. <laughs> what? New York is in the house. <laughs> <laughs> now, you ladies have mentioned, and we mentioned, minorities for medical marijuana. So explain what the vision, the mission is for uh, minorities for medical marijuana, and what is it that that company and does for the movement of medical cannabis? Ross. Um, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. I, I think when when starting the, the organization, and of course through through attrition of time, we kind of massage and fine tune our mission. But it started out very a very hyper focus on advocacy, education, outreach, and training. And there are four focus areas that we focus on those type of activities. Um, it's on the social justice side. It's public policy. It's health and wellness from a um, health education um, um, standpoint as well as um, when it comes to um, economic development and workforce development. Um, those are the four areas that really overlap into our communities. Um, she is correct. Um, I think out of the four public policy, I think the one that really uh, resonates really closely to me is the public policy. 
because I really believe that um, you, you ask, you know, what does the organization do regarding its mission and, 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 and how do you see yourself making a difference? That difference, and I'm realizing it starts with public policy. If we're not working hand-in-hand with legislators to make sure that the type of language that's being, um, that's being um, um, put together and, and, and codified for the different states that are now coming on board with medical programs as well as adult use programs, if we're not pushing our legislators and educating them on why social justice is important, um, it starts there. I got a, a real quick lesson in civics when I started this organization that um, you need to learn exactly about the Senate, the House, the different chambers, the different committees, and how do you influence that and how do you write language that's going to be able to make a difference. Because once you do that, and especially if you put some type of, um, some type of um, you know, punitive type of uh, damage, if you as a license holder don't do what you say in regards to your diversity plan, what's going to be the enforcement of that and what's going to be the repercussions? And all of that language starts at the, you know, it starts at the policy level. And that's where I'm most passionate about and where I see that we have to truly uh, make a difference. Thank you. That's awesome. Uh, Sheeta, you have anything to add to that? I think Roz has hit the nail on the head. It, but we do, I think one thing I love about my North medical marijuana, as quickly as we've grown, you know, and how many j- balls we all juggle in the air, we are able to accomplish what I call an inside-outside game. So while we are also inside with legislators, re-educating them, testifying on the ground as states are legalizing, whether it's medicinally or for an adult use perspective, we're also on the outside reaching out to the community um, and ensuring that community members are aware of what's happening because oftentimes the law can change and or it can be up for change and we have no idea. Um, and uh, what has been amazing is for us to be the first to participate in a lot of the conversations around the country uh, where communities are starting to be awakened to the education or the re-education around cannabis. I focus, um, while I support everything that's happening on the ground, whether it's a lobby day with M for MM and policy, I've testified because of my science background and degree in molecular biology, I find that similar to you, Dr. Rosado, you know, we're, we're kind of charged with bringing that message back in a, a, a scientific way. Um, we've made a lot of laws based on what I call bro science. And so really when I focus on the community education, I really want people to understand cannabis as medicine. First and foremost, it doesn't mean that I don't think the adult use market is important as from a business perspective, but the reason an adult use market even matters is because there are real true um, uh, effective methods, uh, usages of cannabis, and we haven't learned them yet. Most people that I talk to in our communities really only know cannabis from um, the illegal uh, experience, which often is limiting. It doesn't have consumer protection, and it sure enough doesn't have real science-based education. And so when we do that, we open up the eyes of the community, and then they start to demand more at the policy level and become more active in M4MM. So I call that our inside-outside game. I think we've been doing it almost masterfully considering our team and it's part of the reason why we've been able to grow to such a large network so quickly. I agree. I agree 100%. It's all about the education getting out there and pounding the pavement. Now, of course, I'm going to be controversial because I am from the Bronx and that's what we do. Um, sure. the, word marijuana, <laughs> the word marijuana plays a controversial role in cannabis culture. 
many well-known organizations have publicly denounced the M word, and I'm doing air quotes, in favor of our favorite plant's Latinate name, cannabis, which I've heard both of you ladies use that term. Uh, even sure. Salon Magazine, a major press outlet outside of the cannabis industry, published an article entitled, Is the Word Marijuana Racist? And being that that term right now is in vogue in all over social media and media, the word racist and racism, um, would one of you please explain the origins of the M word or the word marijuana, please? Well, I think... Want me to take so, that, Roz, or you jumping in? Yes. No, no, go ahead and take that, and then I'm going to piggyback on um, how that connotation of that word, um, because that's a part of our organization, the name of our organization. So you can take the history of it, and then I'll go from there. Sure. Well, I think it's interesting because we put a lot of energy around words. We talk about the N-word, and this in the cannabis space is now the M-word. Now, I am a scientist, so it is hard for me to not utilize... The, uh, the, the term cannabis, but I also am a seasoned consumer marketer, and we have been for the last 80 years relatively trained around uh, marijuana, and uh, so I've been trying to connect people, you know, where they are. They know what marijuana is. They know what hemp is, and it's usually an eye-opening thing for people to find out that both are actually cannabis. So that's part of the education. But this word dates back to the demonizing of the word. I feel like marijuana obviously has a Hispanic origin based on the, the word and the, what we know about languages. And I'm, I'm sure that um, at some point it was used and it was innocuous, meaning it's just the description of the cannabis plant um, for uh, his, within Hispanic culture. But uh, we had essentially uh, leader within our um, United States, uh, the, what was previously before the DEA, but the, the former DEA. And this guy, Robert Angslinger, um, white male, essentially utilized the word to help demonize it in uh, what has become a very um, popular uh, kind of uh, propaganda campaign where we, we, we talk about the reefer madness and, um, and all of the, the information that he put out to the public around marijuana. He utilized the words to further stigmatize it. It sounds exotic, and he, it allowed white people to feel comfortable voting for this or being comfortable um, supporting this being illegal. Um, over the years, with the practices of our um, Rockefeller drug laws, and how marijuana has essentially been utilized to incarcerate black and Hispanic uh, uh, people, primarily men. Um, and it, it, is, it is further stigmatized, and I can understand why it evokes such a negative connotation, because it does for me growing up in East New York, Brooklyn. Um, but at the same time, I think when you learn the history and it's broken down and you recognize that we still have to communicate with each other. So we have to understand what we're talking about. And when I say cannabis, I would say nine times out of ten in our hoods, people don't know what I'm talking about. And so I have to uh, re realign them. It's also why I call myself the weed head. Um, it's, it's about <laughs> yes, I saw what that. weed head means. <laughs> 
yes, it's about rebranding what weed head means, um, destigmatizing and changing and turning, you know, turning the word on something else. I would say this is different from the N-word because the N-word was born of racism, right? I think it was something that was derogatory meant to describe us from the door. We weren't describing ourselves as that. Whereas marijuana truly is just the name of cannabis and how it was described by people in a culture. And because that culture was exotic, a white man in charge of our laws and our drug laws essentially utilized it um, to make white people afraid of it. Um, and and, and it, it worked. I mean, 80 years later, we are still struggling with this, and there are still states that are arresting folks um, at high, high disproportionate rates, black and Hispanic um, people getting picked up to, uh, you know, just for possession alone. So that, that is my sort of long story short version, and I always encourage people to continue to have this dialogue. I think it's worth the dialogue, though. We definitely need to talk about it because it helps us understand the history. Um, I get a lot of questions, and this is where I'll pass it along to Roz, around why are we called minorities for medical marijuana? Why, you know, and the truth is, I, you know, and, and when I first joined the organization, my thought was, you know, why are we saying medical cannabis? But it is to me, the easiest thing, I was in Detroit at the NAACP conference, when I say minorities and medical marijuana, people get it right away because they know what medical marijuana is. Now, my job is to re-educate them about what marijuana is really as opposed to what they think it is. Go ahead, Roz, I'll pass that to you as well. And I, I couldn't even say it any better. I mean, I swear, it's like she just, like, she's inside my head. That's it. I mean, honestly, Dr. Rosado, it was... Truly, I know the word is cannabis, but my community doesn't. And what I'm, what M for MM is not about, we're not about always going and re-educating or, 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 or hobnobbing or connecting with the cannabis community. Our job is to go out and connect with those that are not in the community that don't know, that don't have the knowledge, that need the education, that have a negative stigma around this plant, who could probably benefit from the use of this plant. They don't even know it um, and don't even understand the different um, ways that you can um, that, that you can utilize it from topicals and tinctures and vapor vape pens and all the other different you know delivery measures to use this plant. Um, and that was it. I mean, Dashita nailed it. I. I I get I get flack about it being minorities for medical marijuana and saying minorities at the beginning, um, but you know the goal was for me. You know my background. I came from working with nonprofit organizations and grant writing, writing grants for them for them to be sustainable, to have funding to carry out their programs. So when I built M for MM, I knew that that funding wasn't there initially and wouldn't be there until federal prohibition is lifted. But when, once it's lifted, the way they're going to write those RFPs and, and looking for to do joint ventures and research projects, it's going to have minorities and it's going to have marijuana in it. I guarantee it. Um, all the programs that you see throughout the state, California is the only state, maybe there may be one other, maybe Colorado, but I know California has utilized the word cannabis, but most states have a medical marijuana program, i.e. Florida. It doesn't say medical cannabis program. So at the end of the day, you know, I had a wise woman told me when I was working for hospice and, and dealing with end-of-life care and dealing with death and dying, and I did it for nine years, and she was like, Roz, when you talk to these families, you have to meet them where they are. You might know all the solutions. You may have the answers. You may be able to make their lives better. But when you're talking about something as serious as this, they may not be ready for it. So you have to meet them where they are and then bring them along, and that's exactly what we did with m for mm Perfect. Well, we've got three minutes before the break, so I want to give both of you ladies the opportunity to um, 
provide to our listeners your contact information, your respective contact information, how they can get a hold of you, how they can get a hold of minorities for medical marijuana, if they want to get involved, how they can get involved. So we've got about three minutes to do that. So Roz, as our president and founder, we'll start yep. with you, please. I'll, and I'll, I'll make it quick. So to reach us, you go to our website, www.mazinmary4united.org. Our 800 number is 877-900-0832. You can also reach us via email at M as in Mary, the number four, M as in Mary, M as in Mary, united at gmail.com. You know, we answer any questions, um, anything that you need. If you want to become a member, um, just go to the site, call us, email us, and we will make sure we connect those dots. Zashida? Just quickly piggyback and say that we also have a number of m for mm Facebook groups that are easily found if you search mm-hmm. the hashtag or you search the acronym M4MM, um, and you can maybe find your state. That's a good way to just get started and get a glimpse. I am the Weedhead, so I can be found at theweedhead.com. Um, and if you want to follow me on Instagram, that is, uh, or Twitter, that's uh, the Cannabis CEO. So I'm um, very excited to keep the conversation going. And you guys can hear me or reach out to me at my website, in uh, josephrosadomd.com. That's Joseph Rosado, R-O-S as in Sam, A-D as in David, O-M-D.com. And you can reach me via email at info at josephrosadomd.com. I'm also... Uh, found on LinkedIn, Facebook, etc. And I have the honor and privilege to be the medical director for Minorities for Medical Marijuana, which there's a cool story behind that. And we will share that story after the break. So we'll be talking to you. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Dr. Joseph Rosado was the first medical professional to recommend medical cannabis treatment in the greater Central Florida region. He has since become a sought-after medical cannabis expert in Florida and abroad. Learn his story and find out more about Dr. Rosado's book, Hope and Healing, The Case for Cannabis. Available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Kobo, as well as through the website josephrosadomd.com. You can also schedule an individual or group consulting session with Dr. Rosado. That's josephrosadomd.com. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
There are many innocent people who are found guilty of crimes that they did not commit. Join criminal defense investigator Jeff Stein for Is There Really Truth and Justice for All? Each show, we'll discuss the problem, and it is a problem. The fact that because of incompetent investigations and a poor judicial system, anybody can become a victim. Can we fix this? Tune in to find out. You can listen Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. There are many people who claim to be dog experts, yet they don't really provide a connection between dog owners and their best friend. This is where the BS stops. Listen for Taming the Wild and Your Dog with expert author and nationally recognized dog trainer Brian Bailey. Each show has experts, professional trainers, and veterinarians to give you the right answers. Listen for the safety and well-being of your dog. Listen every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is on Instagram. Make sure you follow us and comment on our pictures from behind the scenes at our radio shows, live events, and around the network. We want to see what you have to share as well. Check us out on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Listening to Medicana Talk. To reach the program today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or you can send an email to info at josephrosadomd.com. Now, back to Medicana Talk. Welcome back to Medicana Talk. I am Dr. Joseph Rosado, your host, and today I am joined by two powerful, intelligent, and yes, I will say beautiful women that are (laughs) pioneers in the medical cannabis or medical marijuana movement. They are Roz McCarthy, founder, CEO for Minorities for Medical Marijuana, and Dashita Dawson, Chief Strategy Officer for Minorities for Medical Marijuana. Ladies, welcome back. Thanks, Dr. Rosado. All right, now. You're welcome. Now, there's a cool story as to how I got involved at minorities or with minorities for medical marijuana. Um, Roz McCarthy McCarthy and my brother from another mother, Eric Range, and I were at an event in downtown Orlando at the Department of Health where they were doing town hall meetings back in 2016 when we had passed Amendment 2, but laws and regulations were still not implemented or in place. And so in early 2017, we were debating what we needed to do and how the law needed to be and what the law needed to read. And we had one stupid law in the state of Florida that patients had to wait 90 days before they could get medication from a recommending physician because they had to establish a 90-day doctor-patient relationship. And that was Mm -hmm. the point of, of contention I had with the state of Florida. And the three of us were sitting in the front row, and each one of us was going to have a turn to speak. And I was going through my talk, and I was giving, you know, who I was and what I did and so forth. And because I've always, I was supporting minorities for medical marijuana, I turn over to Eric and say, yo, bro, can I say I'm the medical director for marijuana for medical, for (laughs) minorities for medical marijuana? And Eric's like, I don't know, hang on. (laughs) 
So he leans over to our boss lady and says, hey, Roz, can Dr. Rosado say he's the medical director for minorities for medical marijuana? And she looks over at me and he's like, of course. That was it. Yeah, that, that became the medical <laughs> that director it. that day. And, and we've been, <laughs> we been married ever since. <laughs> <laughs> and it has been, a, let me tell you guys something. And, I, you know, and just shout out to the host for today. But it has been my privilege and pleasure to work with Dr. Rosado no matter how, you know, how deep are, are those times that we're working together are connecting the dots, he is someone that truly has, um, he's, he's a patient advocate, he's a supporter, he supports the organization, um, and, and, and wants to, to continue doing things so that we can continue to educate our community. So I can't um, just tell you how much I appreciate you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. I appreciate you because you had the vision to move, you know, take this movement <laughs> to the well, masses. I mean, that was, that was really you. What, you, what were like, are you laughing? <laughs> again, when you guys have to think about this, when we're up there doing these public comment, and at this time, it was so contentious and people that, I mean, it was bad. And so we were just so happy and we, had, we saw Dr. Rosado up there. And I think as soon as he said, you know, he came up with the idea, I'm like, yeah, roll with it. And then after that, I went to Eric. I said, now go get the, go get the news people and go tell them that we want them to interview our medical director. <laughs> and so we got him on television that same day as well as our medical director. It was just, just crazy how we had to work hard to try to make sure crazy policy wasn't going to be implemented um, that would, you know, basically create barriers to this industry. Exactly. But anyway, prior to the break, um, the sheet have talked about and, and touched upon a very, very uh, uh, incriminating, bad, sad, depressing uh, situation that's going on with, you know, brown and, brown and black skin boys that in throughout the United States. And that is the incarceration for possession of marijuana, cannabis. And so... Minorities for Medical Marijuana has a program called Project Clean Slate. Dushito, could you please mm -hmm. explain what that is and elaborate on how it is that Minorities for Medical Marijuana can engage in this behavior and this service for our community? Sure. So uh, I'm going to definitely let uh, Roz kind of jump in on Project Clean, Clean Slate, but I just want to kick the ballistic on a couple of things because we've been talking about this um, a lot over the last year for sure, but I'll give some examples. In New York City, New York being a state that has arrested more people than anybody else in the country just related to marijuana possession, uh, we are, uh, we as in black and Hispanics, uh, just to call it out directly as to what it is, um, we are targeted and five or six times more likely to be arrested um, due to marijuana. And then there are other further things that happen. You can have things added to your um, experience just resisting arrest. Um, it recently, the governor yesterday, uh, or day before yesterday, signed a bill that is, quote-unquote, decriminalizing cannabis in New York. Um, now, what's unfortunate is that, actually, we've had a decriminalization of cannabis since 1977 on the books. Of course, in the hood, I don't know if you knew, Dr. Rosado, but I'm going to be real. I didn't know. And um, apparently, uh, we haven't really seen, obviously, any changes in those arrests. Um, even in the case where we have four birds that the DAs, the lead DAs have said, hey, we are not going to pick up anyone for these minor um, possession charges, even in those four boroughs, 400 
black and brown folks have been arrested in just the beginning half of 2019. Meanwhile, in the rest of the entire state, only 29 Caucasians. So what that is saying to us, even when we change the policy, even when we do the efforts to change the law to, quote, unquote, decriminalize it, as long as there are still ways that the police or ways that um, we can be targeted as a community based on our skin color and the smell or marijuana in any way associated, we are still seeing overwhelmingly disproportionate rates. Um, for me as a Brooklyn girl, this was the tool used to, um, you know, do violate uh, people's rights further, whether it's more search, um, coming into someone's home, into their car, and whatever you find after that point, you know, now all bets are off, but marijuana being that tool. Um, so I just wanted to reiterate for your listeners how um, important it is for us to kind of be vigilant about the fact that even when it's decriminalized, we are still seeing arrest rates and we're seeing detainment rates at an alarming rate. In, in Colorado, I'll just give this as the last point before I pass it to Roz about what we're doing about it. In Colorado, where it's legalized, because you're only allowed to use it as 21 and over, what we're seeing is an alarming, again, disproportionate arrest rate for black and Hispanic youth, largely boys, uh, from the age range of 18 to 21, um, because technically it's illegal and they've made it such uh, for them to have can- uh, cannabis in their possession um, because- without a medical marijuana card. So we are still seeing these pockets of places where it's either legalized or decriminalized, where it's still a tool that's used to incarcerate us or detain us and, and, and we've got to figure out how to get that off the off the record. But then, how do we fix all of the people that have actually had this experience the last, you know, forty or fifty years? And that's where Project Clean Slate comes into play. Absolutely, our mantra with uh, Project Clean Slate is a, a national program, and we focus on um, release and repair. How do we release individuals from um, incarceration from a policy standpoint? How do we release them from a clearing their record standpoint? And then the other piece of that is how do we repair? Repairing means, you know, the support needed to be able to bounce back from some uh, something that has negatively affected your 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 family, your life, and repair your life to be able to go and be able to build, um, to to go further, um, to be better. And so, um, the Project Clean Slate was born out of the fact that um, I. I spoken with and met with the ACLU um, director um, in, in Miami and told her our, our um, 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 commitment of making sure on the social justice side that we were able to look at helping to expunge records. And it started in Florida because Florida doesn't have an automatic expungement for any type of cannabis um, possession. As a matter of fact, there's not even a decriminalization bill at the state level. All of the decriminalization and anything that you see that may even want to push this from a from a penalization uh, from a penalty a jail penalty to a fine or something small um, is based upon a municipality. It's based upon you know the different county that you may be in, and so we felt like if there weren't going to be a actual great bill that was going to support release and repair, how do we partner with someone like the ACLU? be able to create these expungement um, fairs, you may say, partner with the, the legislators in their districts, so the senators and some of the House representatives in the state in their district, 
and be able to pre-qualify individuals to see if they would uh, meet the qualifications. Um, and in, in Florida, you have to have adjudication withheld in order to meet the qualifications, and it's a certain amount uh, uh, that you have to have as a minimal possession. But not only would we do that, but we would we would also connect the dots with that individual who ends up getting their um, record expunged to no cost to them, we would support them with also social services. So maybe during that day, they would also be able to get, if they don't have their driver's license or ID card, um, get the support and have the um, Department of Motor Vehicle comes out with their mobile van to to do driver's license. Um, If they need financial support, we would help them, you know, in, in some kind of way to help them to if they have a fine or something small that needs to, you know, they may need some assistance. But the main thing is after all this is said and done, you have this, you know, this expungement fair, we want to give them a, you know, a contact number to be able to call us, um, you know, um, where there's a case manager that's there um, to answer a question. If they have a, another issue about job, resume building, housing, health care, um, in our community, it's all about trust. And we believe that if we can establish trust um, by taking them through the process to clear clear their record, that we now have their trust to help repair, um, to repair and get them on a better footing. And so, um, in 2000, and, well, I guess it's what we're in 2019. Um, we had Senator Bracey, who's in Orlando. He actually appropriated funding for us to actually do a full blown pilot project of this in Orlando. And unfortunately. Um, the governor kicked it out of his budget. So we have our own challenges from an implementation standpoint to do a full-blown um, program, but we do partials. We do things like in Detroit where we do dinners with, um, not dinners, but resume building with ex-convicts and looking at um, those who may have opportunities to get in the cannabis industry that wouldn't still meet the criteria that's set in Michigan, um, and we help them to understand how to build a resume that speaks to a, a specific cannabis opportunity as well as we have a partnership with um, this company called Go Healy, and they have a technology platform that allows people in California, if you put your name and, um, and you put your information into the app, the app will tell you if you qualify for automatic expungement, and then it, also, and then it pushes it to attorneys on the back end who then start processing your paperwork because the governor in, uh, in California has an automatic expungement opportunity for those who have a cannabis um, um, a, a cannabis offense on their record, but you have to initiate it. So that means you either have to go to an attorney, you have to have an attorney that goes and puts the paperwork in for you. So our um, Project Clean Slate app with, um, with Go Healy is an awesome tool that individuals can use and they put their information in there. And if they qualify, then that starts a process and they don't have to do anything else. So there's, there, we're doing small bits, and we're, we're moving the needle, um, but we want to move it even further, and um, that just takes time, um, resources, and money. Wow. That's amazing. The, just the statistics that the Sheeta, you know, quoted for us is alarming what's going on in our inner cities, and it's, it's you know, it gives me pride and honor to be part of a, of a group that is working as diligently as you guys are to help, you know, our brother and sisters that are going through and have gone through this, this stuff. Now, an, another group that is, hasn't been poorly represented in the medical cannabis world are, are you ladies. Um, in an article published this year in Green Entrepreneur about two months ago, 
It was entitled, Women Are Disappearing from the Cannabis Industry. And the question is, why? You know, one of the reasons for this, according to the article, is the cannabis companies are uh, increasingly plucking executives from corporate America as they mature and the industry becomes more attractive, according to Eli McVeigh of Marijuana Business Daily. Consequently, the executive structure of businesses in the traditional economy where males occupy more than 75% of the senior roles. And that's been evident in here in Florida where we have one of our medical marijuana treatment centers or dispensaries hired Bo Wrigley, the former CEO of Wrigley Company, to be their CEO. Now, as Beyonce says, or who rules the world? Girls. <laughs> Ladies. Right. How are, how are you and how are minorities for medical marijuana supporting women to get into the industry, but not only once they're in the industry, guaranteeing their success in the industry? Does Sheila, you want, to, you want to take the first part of that? I think that really ties into some things you've worked on and your commitment as a woman in the industry. Sure. I mean, <laughs> Dr. Rosado is hilarious. I'm over here cracking up, talking about who runs the world, girl. We do. And if, if you think about this from a consumer perspective, we are running the cannabis industry as well. Women are the fastest growing legal users, um, uh, according to all of the uh, most recent POS data from New Frontier, from BDS. We're the fastest growing legal users largely because of ailments from um, endometriosis, MS, Crohn's disease, fibromyalgia, where we just have a, a higher tendency or higher rates for some of those um, ailments, and cannabis is the best medicine um, as compared to what traditional uh, medical uh, communities are currently using. And so we're also um, really important because if we talk about just health and wellness, when it comes to household decision-making, women make 90% of that. So just, again, flexing a little bit of information for folks to understand why women are so important in t terms of the market. This uh, historically has been a market that has um, focused on white males 18 to 25 as far as their target um, and when I think about the things that I've done the last three, now going on four years, they have been largely with white males. Uh, they're the ones that tend to control the money, but although that's not unusual because that's the same outside of the cannabis industry. Um, they are very much on a buddy system. I hear a lot, well, my buddy this, my buddy that. My buddy doesn't have credentials, but my buddy is going to get that opportunity. And so um, I became very certain from the beginning, which is why I entered the market with my sisters, who are also... Black Girl Magic personified and why I sought out people like Roz McCarthy to work with is that I think we, we build our strengths in numbers. Um, Minorities for Medical Marijuana is one of the uh, few organizations that when we come through the door and not that, again, we don't love the support of the males that are leaders in our group, but we're rolling through with some ridiculous um, credentialed, experienced women of color um, or women, period. And we partner with some pretty amazing women as well. Um, just look Looking at what Roz and MM has been able to do in St. Louis with um, Sarah Setti, um, um, with Dale from Oaksterdam. These are powerhouse women in the industry. Um, and so I think part of what we've been doing and focused on is identifying the opportunities for us to come together. More recently, um, when we were in New Orleans, we partnered with Women Grow and uh, Dr. Shonda Messiah and Jim Marone, who are the leaders of that organization, to bring an event to, to, to the table. So I think we're, we're focused on collaboration. 
um, and finding the right people to help us bring that message. And by and large, uh, the women in the industry that I've interacted with are coming with a story that is not so much about money. Yes, we know there is opportunity. We know there's business opportunity, but our stories are like the one that Ross said at the outset of this program, same as mine. We lost a parent or we have a child in need or uh, ourselves, um, and that's what's bringing us into the industry. And I think with that authenticity, um, we have a lot of longevity um, ahead of us because we're going to actually see the real opportunity, which to me, again, is focused around what do the consumers need and what's that consumer behavior. And for something like cannabis as an ingredient um, that is a health and wellness opportunity for communities, women are going to dictate how that moves through. So I would even employ, and I say this to all of my clients, even if you're all male, executive team, you need to figure out how to address women as a consumer and not assume that the same thing you've been using for males, white males, 18 to 25, will be a good marketing um, program for, for these consumer for these women. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure I uh, kind of answered the question, didn't answer the question, but I, no, I think at the end of the day, what we're doing is identifying other people like ourselves who are like-minded who are here with a vision and a purpose for the industry, um, and it isn't just about money. And unfortunately, I've got to say it because, you know what, I'm real talk all day. White, you know, the white men that I've met, there's probably only a third of them who care about anybody else besides themselves and, and, and the money aspect of the cannabis space. And so we seek out those individuals, and they have come to the table to partner with us as well. So it's not meant to be exclusionary. It is an inclusive thought process behind it, but... If they're also thinking, hey, my buddy this, my buddy this, I'm thinking my sister this, my homegirl this. And in my case, I have sisters who have 25-plus years of experience, uh, Harvard business degrees or MBEs. So I'm excited to bring us to the table um, more and more every day. Yep. That's I, I beautiful. Think, um, you Thank did, you. You nailed it, Dashida. I think that, you know, and I'll just make it real short and sweet that when you know there's an issue – um, this organization, um, of course, founded by a woman, but we put people, women, who can then sh- uh, personify excellence, and therefore you're going to have other women who see that and want to be able to personify that or, get, or follow those footsteps. And um, our goal is, is to make sure that we make sure, especially from women of color that don't get left out, because there's a, there, is a, there is a ranking you have men, um, you know, of course, and you have men, white men, men of color, you have women, and then women of color. And sometimes women of color end up getting, being at the very bottom end of the totem pole for advancement, opportunity, um, for, um, um, for, for creating businesses, the whole nine yards. And we want to change that. We want to show folks that we can really change that. And that was the reason why, you know, we attended Essence Festival. They didn't invite us to come. Essence Festival is the number one. Um, educational entertainment um, uh, venue or event in the country for women of color, and over 500,000 people descend on New Orleans every July 4th weekend. And they, it wasn't like they said, hey, we want you guys to come. We just knew that it was time for us to go to mainstream. All these women of color who are going to be, who are caregivers, who are businesswomen, who are, um, who are the workforce, and just say it's okay to talk about cannabis, and that's what we did. Well, ladies, we have 
two minutes left, and you, you guys did an amazing job, and I think we're going to need a part two to this episode, because there's way too much stuff to still talk about. So, ladies, in the last minute and a half, please tell us how we can get a hold of you and how we can get involved. Uh, same thing, just as a reminder, this is Roz McCarthy, um, the founder and the CEO of Minorities for Medical Marijuana. So excited to be here and be connected um, please reach out to us at m4mmunited at gmail.com, 877-900-0832. If, you've ta- if you put in m4mmunited in any of our social media, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, or hashtag m4mm, you will find us. Um, please do not hesitate to reach out, and we will make sure we follow back up and let us know how we can help if you want to be a, a part of this momentum that's going on, this movement. Um, but we're so excited and so grateful. Um, you know, I, I couldn't ask for a better partner, friend, sister, soldier like Dashita, who's in this fight with me. Um, and, you know, all of us together, you, Dr. Rosado, all of us together, uh, we are pioneers, and we are going to truly make a difference. Well, thank you very much. We have thirty less than 30 seconds left. Dashita, please. Hi, well... No problem. I'm Dashita Dawson. I'm the Weed Head. That's pretty easy to remember. You can find me at theweedhead.com. I enjoy my job as a chief strategy officer for FMM, so you can always reach out to me directly if you have questions about getting involved on the ground. We need more soldiers. Join the movement. Thank you. Ladies, always a pleasure to speak with you and collaborate. Thank you again for your time, and we will be in touch very soon. Thanks, Dr. Rosado. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Medicana Talk. Please join Dr. Joe Rosado for another edition of our program next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. If you'd like to learn more about medical cannabis, we invite you to go to Amazon.com to purchase Dr. Rosado's book, Hope and Healing, The Case for Cannabis. Have a great week. 